0: Asia-Pacific
1: stocks are trading lower this morning with Korea leading the way down by 0.48%, Australia is down 0.73% and Japan is down 0.84%. Now this follows what we're seeing on Wall Street as investors start to weigh in the possibility of a recession and the likelihood of a longer than expected hiking cycle from the Federal Reserve. The S&P 500 slipped 0.19% to end of the session at 3,933. That represents a fifth consecutive decline. The Dow Jones Industrial Average finished roughly flat at 33,597 points. And the Nasdaq Composite fell 0.51% to end off at 10,958 points. Bond yields also fell with the rate on the 10-year Treasury note at one point touching a low of 3.4%. Meanwhile, the central bank is widely expected to deliver a 50 basis point rate hike. And while the move would be a smaller one compared to the previous four rate hikes, there are concerns over whether the Fed can engineer a so-called soft landing while successfully bringing down inflation. And worries of a recession in 2023 have also spooked some investors in recent days, which is explaining why we're seeing a broader sell-off on Wall Street. On the economic front, investors are waiting for the latest data on weekly jobless claims before the bell today. And economists polled by the Dow Jones are anticipating a reading of about 230,000. That's up slightly from the prior week's total of 225,000. November's producer price index and preliminaries consumer sentiment data for December are also set to release tomorrow as well. Now, right now, let's bring in Ryan Huang to help us with the latest market movements and stories
0: making headlines. Good morning, Ryan. How was your short break? Morning, Dan. It was great. Um, So I spent the day pretty much babysitting. So that's as good as it gets. (laughs) Babysitting. Do you really call that a break? Anyway.
1: (laughs) All right, Ryan. Now let's start things off with the bruising of the stock reversal that we are seeing in recent days. And December has been nothing but a shocker in the stock market, having seen the S&P 500 posting the longest stretch of down days to begin a month since 2011. And this is coming off a seven-week rally which resulted in the index surging 14%, even despite a wave of earning downgrades and weak economic data in areas of housing and manufacturing. So Ryan, as much as investors are cheering the Fed's pivot to slow down interest rate hikes is this pivot coming a little too late
0: yeah that is a big question as we head into next week where we have the FOMC meeting and as you alluded to Dowling back of perhaps rate hike magnitudes in the past four meetings, we had hikes of 75 basis points. So perhaps this time around, as what you expected, we'll get 50 basis points, a sign that the Fed wants to take some pressure off the hiking cycle. But that is where the debate starts, which is how long it's going to keep these increments. Will it have many smaller increments or will it just keep it, slower as it goes into next year. So that's Mm -hmm. the big question mark. And of course, uh, they have a lot of stats and economic indicators to keep track of. As we see recently, the robust jobs data that was hotter than I expected. So that can kind of feeds into the narrative that the Fed needs to do more to tame the pressures on that front because a strong jobs market means Employers need to pay more for wages and that will just lead to a spiraling of inflationary pressures upwards. So that's mm. one factor that they will be taking into account. And you talk about how stock markets have been under pressure for the past few days, maybe a few weeks. And this is worth noting, it is against a backdrop of how uh, a lot of expectations are for that darling back of um, rate hikes, that pivot, so to speak. And the tricky thing is it is very tough to time the market because everyone's hoping for that pivot. But when the pivot actually comes, it might already be too late because markets have already moved on. And mm. if you look at what the economy is also suggesting, there is still quite a lot of pain to be bracing for because when you look at the headlines, you've got the likes of layoffs, profit margins being eroded. So that needs to be taken into account on top of what the Fed is doing. So you have a lot of moving parts in terms of how companies might be impacted. It's not just going to be interest rates, but also other factors um, that we need to keep track of. Mm. As if things
1: aren't settling enough, even CEO Citigroup has warned that the US is likely to enter a recession next year. So that being said, what's your take on the economic trajectory for the upcoming
0: year ahead? And if there is a recession, are we expecting a long or a short one? Yeah, it looks like we're not short sure of warning signs these days. So if you look at the latest coming from City CEO Jane Fraser, she is warning that a recession is around the corner and this is possibly in the second half of next year. So she's warning a US downturn is coming and this is already being observed elsewhere. She's looking at Europe where she says it's already going through a recession and other company, uh, other. Countries are going to follow suit as well. So, she is part of a growing chorus of voices warning of a downturn, and they have been all been speaking at an investor conference in New York hosted by Goldman Sachs. So, we've heard from the likes of earlier this week JP Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon warning that the country's unemployment rate will likely rise next year before peaking at 5% the following year. So he believes that may spark a shallow and short-lived recession. You've got other bank CEOs, US Bank Cop Chief Andy Sesa saying that the consumer right now, even though they look healthy, have a lot of cash, have been sitting on cash balances well above pre-COVID levels, but he believes it is now at an inflection point Mm. where those buffers are starting to disappear and consumers may start to change their spending habits. So he is quite wary about how things may play out. And also, Bank of America CEO, Brian Morninghan is saying spending on his bank's credit cards among his customers rose only 5% in November and that is a lower rate compared with previous periods. So on that front, you can kind of tell that suggests consumers are already cutting back. So you've mm. got a few warning signs coming through from the banking industry that a downturn is coming. Mm. Yes, and speaking of recession, another economy
1: that's expected to enter a recession next year is Japan. Economists from Capital Economics have stepped up to say that the recession will mostly be driven by a drop in exports and also by becoming more cautious, which is typically what you see when exports start to fall. Ryan, what are your thoughts on this and what signs should we be watching out for, even as
0: Japan had just recently, I believe, upgraded their Q3 GDP? Yeah, you've got Japan actually out with its numbers this morning Mm. and it is with an annualized growth rate for the third quarter at negative 0.8%. So that follows the previous quarter's contraction as well of over 1%. So two straight quarters of negative growth make it By definition, a technical recession. I guess there's a bright spot here, which is the consensus forecast was for a drop of Mm 1.1%. So not as bad as expected, but it is still a contraction and it is still a recession. So capital economics is pretty much calling it correctly. And this is off the back of a couple of indicators as well. You've got export growth slowing down. If you look at what's played out in the month of October, we had exports rising just 25.3%. That is slower than September's reading of 28.9%. And Japan just posted a larger than expected trade deficit of $15 billion for Mm. October. And if you look at imports, that was up 53.5% in October, higher than a year-on-year growth of 45% the previous month. So that kind of adds to the trade deficit narrative there. So Mm. all in, you've got a weak... Yen as well playing out for many of the importers. So they'll be hurt as well as they have to pay US dollars in some of their uh, stuff that they bring in. So it is possibly going to be more pain for Japan, at least for some businesses down the road. Yes, pain, that's the big word we're seeing and hearing a lot today.
1: You know, even as Japan's core inflation for November came in at 3.6%, that's the highest in 40 years and higher than the BOJ's target of 2%, Bank of Japan Governor Haruhiko Kuroda has stressed the need to maintain ultra-low interest rates. And he even brushed aside the chance of reviewing the bank's monetary policy framework. Do you agree with this, Ryan? And what then would it take for them to raise interest rates or perhaps bring down inflation?
0: That's a very tough question because every time we look at the dollar-yen cross, right, there is always that line we wonder, will the BOJ start to intervene? Will Mm. they let it weaken by so much? And every other time, it starts to get lower and lower. The Japanese yen just keeps breaching those levels right now it is at a reading of 136.9 or rather 89 so that is pretty much showing that the Japanese yen has weakened in the past year by nearly 20 percent so this is just putting more pressure on the BOJ to do more because as we've talked about a week yen, two weeks is not great for many businesses who have to import in terms of US dollars. Mm. So, there has been a suggestion recently by one member of the Bank of Japan committee to review what they do, whether it's necessary to look at the current policy of maintaining ultra low interest rates. Mm. For now, the BOJ governor Haruki Karuda says no, that is too premature. He wants to hit his, his two. Percent efficient target before he starts looking at these options. Mm. So, at least publicly, he's saying, No, it's not time to look at these things. So, you can expect more pressure to be on the Japanese yen until that narrative changes. Right,
1: that, is, that That marks a very stark contrast with what the rest of the economy around the world is doing as well. So we'll be keeping an eye out on that as well. Ryan, the mood's been quite down seeing what's happening across the world. But perhaps there are some bright spots and that's what we're seeing over in China. In a significant easing of COVID controls, the Chinese government said yesterday that people will no longer need to show negative virus tests or health codes in order to travel between different parts of China. Have the Chinese authorities finally acknowledged the difficulties of its COVID-0 policy on its people and economy? And... What's your take on the recent loosening of restrictions, Ryan?
0: Yeah, just to recap the loosening of restrictions. So this involves people no longer having to show negative virus tests or health codes in order to travel between different parts of the country. So they currently have a bit of a, an app of sorts where they have a traffic-like code like red, it means you've been exposed. You've got to stay at home. Mm. Yellow is to a certain degree not as strict, and green is pretty much you're free to do what you need to do. Mm. So that is now being lifted. You don't have to follow those codes. Um, also, if you look at what is um, playing out, no more current, uh, no more strict COVID controls. They are allowing more people to quarantine at home. So you've got a lot of easing of measures, which suggests that a reopening of the wider economy is due in time to come. So that is the question, when? Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: I imagine there's going to be some transition period of sorts where they have to get everyone ready for that scenario because for the past few years, they've been just putting that sense of uh, uncertainty or maybe even fear that COVID-19 is um, something they have to really manage very tightly. So they can't just spring back to city school straight away. So there's going to be some transition period to look out for. For now, it looks like markets in the past few days have been moving higher off the back of the expectation. So that is um, something to, I guess, look forward to. That maybe we will see all these Chinese tourists and revenge spending and traveling come back again and lift other economies around the world. Mm, Certainly very
1: good news as well. Now, Ryan, we are seeing analysts from Bank of America stepping up to say that China's reopening presents great opportunity to buy Chinese stocks with valuation upside. Are you convinced? And amid this loosening of restrictions, does it really present
0: a good opportunity to stock up or is it too early to make any decisions? Um, There is an argument for this because if you look at what's playing out in the markets, so much uncertainty, you've got a Fed tightening path that is likely to be um, continuing down that road more hawkish, rates to go up and no more easy money, so to speak. But on the other hand, you've got a very accommodative approach by China. So that, at least in the long term, will mean tailwinds for the stock market. And we talked about how the reopening is going to mean a lot of revenge spending. So the likely beneficiaries will be the likes of consumer-facing companies like the luxury goods industry casino stocks airlines so that is likely to see the first wave of um, positivity Mm. and then you've got of course the other sectors you can look more closely at Uh, maybe if you have a bit more risk appetite you can start looking or at least putting on your shopping list the property sector they have used quite some ways to go before coming back to um, more solid footing but Mm valuations are looking attractive because they've been battered down so much with all the bad news, all the bankruptcies in that sector. There is now a property rescue package. So Mm. in time to come, it will turn around, but it is going to be a question of your um, priorities, Mm. how fast you want to see your returns. So it might take quite some time before the property sector... Rebounds, Risks factors. How much risk are you willing to take?
1: Now, back at home, we're currently 21 minutes into the local trading day and yesterday, the Straits Times Index closed lower by 0.82% to end off at
0: 3,225 points. Ryan, how is the STI performing today? Okay, let's take a look at where we are for the Straits Times Index. Pretty much yesterday, it was down for the STI and the rest of Asia Mm. and it is coming back on into the green right now. 0.5% 0.5% higher, 3,240 points right now, and it is looking rather against the rest of the region. Quite optimistic in that sense because it's been quite subdued against other markets hmm. uh, for other markets. So it looks like on the STI, only five counters in the red at the bottom. We've got Jijiang Shipbuilding down by 1.5% at a dollar 36. Tybev is down 0.8% at $0.65. Capital DC REIT rounding up the bottom three. At the top of the table, we have the likes of Jardine Matheson Holdings, up 2%, followed by Fraser's L&C Trust and Capital Land Invest, both up at least 1%. If you look at the... Three banks all of them in the green, led by OCBC up one point two percent. All right, now we're going to play a game of up or
1: down, and if you are familiar with this game, I will be picking a stock or a topic, and you guess whether it's an up or a down. Ryan, are you ready? Let's go. Let's go with the first one, Cecil Reed.
0: All right, Cecil Reed is going to be a down for me. So making the news for the wrong reasons mm. this is the chief financial officer of the manager. So, Xie Feng being involved with an investigation by the MAS and the CAD for personal trading of securities. So, he's been invited for an interview with them. So, according to the statement, this involves personal trading of securities, which is believed to have taken place before he became an employee of the manager of SESIA Reed. So, right now... Still quite early stages and Cecil mm. Reed says he can continue going on with his job because there have been no charges filed yet. Mm, certainly quite questionable. I will go with a down for Cecil Reed as well. Let's move on to the next one, Del Monte Pacific. Alright, are you a fan of pineapples? Oh, I love them. Alright, so this is going to be an up for me because they have been making more money. Net mm. income for the second quarter. To, uh, 38% to $49.5 million. And this is off the back of higher profit margins, specifically or uh, led by its US subsidiary, Del Monte Foods. So it is seeing gross margin going up to 28% from around 25% as a result of selected price hikes in line for inflation. They've also reduced the sales of low-margin products. And also cut some costs, so that is helping its second quarter.
1: Mm, yes, and worth noting that sales in its international markets also grew 13%. That's driven primarily by strong performance of fresh pineapple exports. Are you a
0: fan of pineapple, Ryan? Yes, on pizzas especially.
1: Mmm, quite controversial. <laughs> very, very controversial. I like the debate on that. But, anyways, let's move on to the next one Reverse
0: Corporation. Okay, this is going to be an up for me. So, Reverse has received a mandatory offer for all its shares from. Investors Lim Kui Lan and Bernard Tan. So this is the digital services company and this offer was at 3.06 cents per share. So they have um, already taken a huge chunk, 58.6% stake right now after buying from a couple of uh, people, L3N Capital from Revestor's Chief Executive Officer Victor Neil, the Chief Opting Officer as well as the wife of the chief creative technology officer. So we've got a couple of shares already bought up and now they've got to make a mandatory offer. Um, So this is at 3.06 cents per share. Mm. Uh, Worth noting, this is below the last transacted price of 9 cents per share. So hopefully they sweeten the deal. Yes, Ryan, off to our last one. And that's COE prices. There's a down for me in terms of prices going down. So this is seeing COE premiums falling across the board and the large car category is seeing the biggest drop, 7.4%. So we've been following COE prices. You might remember earlier on in the year, they've been hitting record after record, month after month. Finally, there seems to be some moderation and latest mm. is seeing a drop for prices. And we look at where we are right now for the um, large car category or let's start with the open category COEs which can be used to register any type of vehicles they are 3.1% cheaper at $110,524 Wow
1: Ryan is this enough to convince you to buy a car?
0: Mm, not quite, but the bike series are down. Maybe you can look at a new bike. then. I'm considering actually 3. maybe... 3.9% cheaper. That's, that's, quite
1: a, that's, that's quite a jump, but I would say it's still at a premium. So I'll probably wait for another year to see how things turn out. All right, Ryan, thank you so much for this morning. And that's all we have for
0: you on Market View. Before acting on the information on MoneyFM.